From 11FS, this is Fintech Insider News, and I'm your host, Kate Moody. Thank you for downloading this podcast, especially you on the dog walk. This week, we're talking public launches in the UK. Um, Really exciting move for an exciting company doing awesome stuff in the investing space. We're joined by their co-founder to talk through why they're launching the UK and why now and what it is they hope to achieve in the market. Solaris raises to focus on core values when we're joined by a member of their kind of core team to talk us through the reasons behind this raise, what they're looking to do with it. And again, a really interesting discussion around what it is that investors are looking for in these interesting economic times. And have you been fooled by a deep fake? Um, A really quite freaky example of of Martin Lewis, a UK consumer champion, um, being used to try and flog a sort of fake investment scheme. So we talk about the pros and cons of AI and how it's impacting our sector. We get into all this and much more on today's show. So let's get to it. But first, a few brief messages. Back shortly. Keeping up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bite-sized goes out every Friday at 11 a.m. so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. episode 760 of Fintech Insider. I'm Kate Moody, Customer Strategy Director at 11FS, and I'm joined this week on Fintech Insider News by some brilliant guests to break down this week's biggest stories in fintech and financial services. Firstly, I'm very excited to be joined in the studio by Life Abraham, co-founder of Public. Welcome to the show, Life. We'll get your news in a minute, very exciting, but can you give our listeners, I suppose, the top line on, on yourself and Public if, if they've, for some reason, not come across you before? Yep, hey, life originally German. That's where the beautiful accent comes from. You've you have been warned. Uh, but based out of New York, um, run public uh, investing app, also based out of New York originally. And there's a little news coming up. We're going to talk about in a second. So yeah, very excited to get it. Well, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, and German accents always welcome on the show. So thank you. Um, we also have a fintech insider debut for Konstantin Kavadias, chief investment officer at Solaris. Thanks for joining us, Konstantin. Again, we've got some news coming up for you as well, but briefly, what should people know about you and Solaris, please? So my name is Konstantin. I joined Solaris uh, last year, and uh, due to the current state of the markets, they thought it would be a great idea to give me this lofty title and go out and raise some funds. And Solaris, I would say, in a nutshell, is the leading embedded finance player. And obviously, I will be more than happy to explain a little bit more about embedded finance as we go on in the show. Fantastic. Well, thanks for joining us. And last, but by no means least, we have Sean Ford, the UK CEO of Payable. Great to have you here, Sean, joining from slightly exotic climbs as well. So what should people know about you and Payable? Yes. Hi there. Hi, guys. Um, Yes. So I'm uh, the UK CEO, as you said, of Payable. Payable is a payment provider, which is based in the UK, Cyprus and, and Frankfurt. We provide a range of payment solutions, uh, mainly credit cards, Visa and MasterCard for 
a whole range of European customers. Awesome. Well, great to have you here. Uh, and let's get into the news. So our first story, we've taken this from Business Insider, and that is that Public is launching in the United Kingdom. Public, an investing platform giving members access to invest in stocks, ETFs, crypto, treasuries, and alternative assets, has launched today in the United Kingdom. The UK is the company's first international market outside the United States. Well, hey. As well as investing in US stocks, users can also access Public Premium, which is an investor and analyst platform with advanced insights, live shows, and investor analysis in a live feed, which the company set up to guide investors. Public was launched in 2019 in the US by German co-founder Life Abraham and Danish co-founder Yannick Marling. The company has raised over $300 million in venture capital funding to date. Um, Life, fantastic to have you here with us to kind of talk through this. Firstly, I mean, congratulations, super exciting. Um, obviously, we're biased, like based in the UK. We think the UK is a pretty great place, but how do you decide on a new market when expanding internationally? Cool, thanks. Yeah, obviously, incredibly excited about this too. This has been some time in the making. And um, uh, as we look to new markets, there's the obvious sense of being an American company, you know, having been an American company first from a perspective of just like, where can you find a lot of English speaking people as well? Because, you know, localization is hard and obviously it's easier if the people already speak the language. And so that kind of nailed down from there. But then the other piece obviously is that the UK specifically has some, you know, fairly innovative uh, um, regulatory uh, uh, structures that make it actually, you know, sort of say easier for a firm like ours to also expand into the UK, right? So in most countries, there's basically one way to do it. And the UK actually has multiple different paths on how you can enter the market. And um, uh, and there was also one, you know, mass factor. Um, and then obviously, right, it's a big country, right? 70 plus million people. And so um, it's, a, it's a pretty sizable market for us as well. Yeah, and it makes, um, makes a ton of sense. And I suppose you know, you've, you've said it's not been, you know, this, this has been a while in the making, you know, when when did the UK become the definitive choice? You know, like, how long have you been working on this? We've been working on this nearly two years now. And so um, we hired a gentleman uh, called Dan, who um, had a stint at WISE as well, which is uh, obviously a, a big fintech in, in, the, in the UK that I'm sure everyone's pretty aware of. And, um, um, and so Dan basically, you know, lets the international expansion generally and therefore also the efforts in the UK, obviously. And um, I think he joined nearly two years ago now. And so that was obviously the kickoff. And then from there, you know, there's regulatory work, there's just general you know, research we do in terms of like which market to truly start with and so on. Obviously, the UK was kind of top of the list from the beginning, you know, but you always do your homework uh, uh, to see if your gut is truly right or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you, you'd expect so, right? It's, it's quite a big effort, so you wouldn't just want to flip a coin and, and go from there, right? But um, I suppose, what is the state of retail investment in, in 2023? Obviously, we talked about it a ton in the immediate aftermath of COVID. You know, we saw a massive uptick in, in people engaging these types of platforms during COVID, but you know, where are we at in 2023? Yeah, I think you can really think about it as like every um, cycle or, you know, basically has their own asset classes, has their own investing behavior. And, you know, as you said, like 2020 was really, you know, the COVID drop and, you know, sports were off and people needed, you know, new teams to rally behind and those teams ended up being companies. And that obviously was like, you know, a, a big driver and just retail adoption then, you know, 2021, obviously you had your meme stocks, right? You had your crypto rallies. And so that drove a lot of retail interest as well. And then you can really think of like now um, uh, in the US, it's really the rate hikes that have driven a lot of interest. And so in the US, for example, we launched treasury accounts. So an easy way to invest into US T-bills. That, for example, you know, just had good market momentum because 
you know, it's otherwise uh, uh, basically has been unheard of for a decade plus that you could get, you know, five plus percent by, you know, lending money to the U.S. government. And so that suddenly became cool again. Um, uh, and so on. And then I think generally speaking, obviously, year to date, you know, the markets have specifically in tech stocks obviously have, have you know, had a quite quite a turnaround. And retail, the way, you know, we see it in our app as well, is definitely, you know, very, very highly invested in in just large tech as well. And so, therefore, year-to-date has been honestly quite phenomenal for us as a company, generally speaking. Um, but also, you know, just great to see how, how some of the big tech companies basically reach new highs and so on. Yeah. You know, actually, I would say likely much faster than many people anticipated, you know. Uh, AI trends and so on obviously will likely have 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 helped in that regard as well, um, uh, and so on. But so far, we really see that year to date, just like flows, so like just like inflows into the app, you know, have been uh, higher than ever, and so um, even higher than like twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. Super interesting. And obviously, you know, you mentioned you know, the UK is a big market. Um, it's also a market that does have some investment offerings in already, right? Like, what are you guys going to really double down on to kind of to differentiate and stand out to UK consumers? The very start for us is to try to really offer the best experience to invest into U.S. stocks out of the U.K. And with that, so over 5,000 U.S. equities on the app uh, to start with. Obviously, we want to grow that further in the future as well, which is, you know, I would say quite, you know, more than uh, uh, most other also just new brokers in the, in the U.K. as well. Uh, second, actual zero commission trading. And uh, also very low FX fees. And so we literally charge 30 bips. Um, and also we don't charge FX on every trade like you see it in some other places. But literally just once when you move money into your account, then you have that nominal FX fee and, and that's really it. And so um, generally speaking, so to say investing into US stocks on public will, you know, you have a larger kind of breadth of US equities, but also just you know, much cheaper than most other places. And that's really where it starts. And then obviously the app itself, you know, we've worked on this now for, you know, five plus years, is a quite mature uh, experience, if I can say so myself, to the extent where, you know, if you go to, you know, the Tesla page, you can see how many cars have they shipped, right? You can have a really deep, you know, dive into the last 10 quarters of their financials and their cash flow statements and you can listen to their earnings calls and view their investor reports and so like there's there's like a quiet depth to the to the, to the experience uh, around those assets as well and that's always something we've you know tried to perfect over the last few years and so therefore i think also we're just entering the market with this you know with with an experience that kind of strikes this nice balance that we always try to hit of like being on the one side a very simple experience. So if you're new to investing, you know you will not feel overwhelmed. But if you're also, you know, a little more experienced, you uh, uh, you can actually dive pretty deep and you know won't feel necessarily like oh, this is not for me. It's like some beginner app, but it's actually something that is quite sophisticated under the hood as you as you start to dig into the experience. And that's the balance I was trying to kind of meet, and that's going to be the same in the UK as well. Yeah, yeah, no, I can I can definitely see that being a, a, a really interesting design challenge. Um, Constantin, like you guys, obviously are are no strangers to market expansion as well. You know, listening to life's description of their journey, you know, how how does that compare to what you've seen in, in your business? What what are the biggest hurdles for international expansion from from Solaris's perspective? I think at the end of the day, is is it, it is really the um, localization of the product especially if you operate in a regulated environment where you essentially have to bridge the differences of the local regulations into your products 
and be mindful that you're not going to lose your economies of scale while doing so. I think we had a slightly different approach towards the European market and the UK. The UK, we felt that the best way forward was to go through an acquisition uh, and use the local experience of, of local management and their teams to expand. That was the acquisition of Contas. And the I would say the adjacent markets in the in the in, in Europe and the largest one in terms of economies uh, being France, Italy, and Spain were then an organic move, if you so will, and a local investment. Sean, obviously you're a UK CEO. Um, what's your perspective on, on the UK market? Would you agree that it's welcoming to new players? Yeah, I think it is. I think that um, it's interesting for us at Payable. We obviously uh, were passporting into the UK prior to, to Brexit. So the UK is not really brand new for us as a market. We're sort of uh, still passported across. But after Brexit, I think there's, um, particularly in financial services, there is very much a, a sort of a shake-up in the, in the flow here. And I think that uh, after the strain uh, of Brexit, uh, things are starting to come back together again as far as us pushing forward and growing, particularly in fintech. Uh, we're seeing you know, huge growth within our business um, and we're anticipating that, you know, continuing over you know, the cu- current months. So, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I see the UK being a very positive place to be, not just London as well. We've got other fintech hubs growing, uh, obviously, with the, uh, the East Midlands and uh, Manchester, for example, coming through with, with Birmingham there as well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see it growing um, more and more. And it's uh, you know, definitely a growth area for us. Life. I mean, obviously, it might seem like a bit of an odd question, given that you know, you're probably really focused on just launching in the UK at the moment. But you mentioned that you had a list of other markets you were considering. Um, you know, do you see this move into the UK as giving you a base for wider international expansion, or is it kind of one market at a time? Uh, we definitely will start with the UK and you know ease ourselves in again. First market. There's a lot of learnings to be had, right, and so on. Um, but generally speaking, its ambitions are obviously you know bigger than that. Like we have, like our mission literally states, you know, to make the public markets work for all people. And if you say all people, then that obviously you know includes people outside the US and you know therefore now the UK as well. And so the ambitions are definitely there. But right now, we really take it one step at a time. Right, the UK needs to be the focus, and you know also just to ensure that you know we're truly giving people the best experience possible yeah no that's um that's a great mission definitely one i'd love to love to support you on well massive congratulations i hope the launch goes goes super well i'm really excited to see kind of the, the impact you guys have on on the uk space so um yeah let's watch let's watch your space okay our next story comes from tech.eu and that is embedded finance platform solaris closes 38 million euro funding round embedded finance platform solaris has closed a 38 million euro series f round to strengthen and governance and compliance, marking the next stage of growth for the company. The funding round was led by existing investors. Solaris covers 400 different APIs across categories like banking and card services, payments, lending, ID verification and digital currencies. The funding comes on the back of some challenges for the brand in 2022. The company was subject to a special audit from the German regulator, Barthen. At the end of last year, Solaris announced that its CEO, Roland Foltz, would step away from the business. Constantin, fantastic to have you here with us to kind of talk about this round. You know, congratulations 
on the raise. Obviously, it's you know not a super easy environment to raise in, so it may, kind of makes the achievement all the more impressive. Um, obviously, we've shown in the story that this is focusing on governance and compliance, but I suppose could you give us, us a bit more detail on you know, precisely what that means and what are the plans for this new funding? Yeah, so thank you very much. So in, indeed, um, it, it was a challenging round um, because mainly due to the market sentiment. And then you, if you overlay a franchise like ours being challenged by the regulator, then it doesn't, you know, it's not like really simple to get it done. We got it done with the support of our existing shareholders, which also at the end shows that there is a conviction about the business model. And I think the the slight detour here and the pause on high growth, it was necessary because our tech, our products, our partners, our revenues had outgrown significantly our processes and structures which let then the regulator to rein in with a special audit and just make sure that, you know, we will be in a good place still with all the growth that we were expecting to achieve. So that's why we said, all right, let's use that F round. Let's right size the structure of the company as a whole and also always taking a, a closer look towards the uh, specific regulations that we need to meet and to adhere uh, as we're not only a German company, but a pan-European with a UK footprint, which means we need to combine different standards under different licenses, which I alluded earlier, you know, which also provide us, provides us with some challenges around the, the localization of product. So we need to make sure that we're not you know, making any mistakes in the implementation. We adhere to all different sets of regulations. And that obviously needs time, but also money to get the right people in to uh, build the, the right processes and structures around the products and be able then on that back of uh, a successful implementation to grow again at a higher speed. Yeah, that really makes sense. I suppose it's just interesting, right? Because we talk about lots of raises on the show I don't know if I've come across many super recently where it's been as explicit as you've as you've explained it about you know trying to really scale the processes of the company. Often people talk about like oh a new hiring spree or a snazz new feature launch. Like actually, how it sounds completely sensible as a thing to be focusing on. I suppose did did investors get that? Like was it a journey that you had to take investors on, or, or were they kind of on board and it was quite an easy sell? Well, they were not specifically on board because uh, these are typical growth investors. So they, they they would like to see growth, although with a different flavor, i.e. being profitable uh, rather than just top line growth. But nevertheless, you know, the education was necessary to explain that if you build the structure right, then you have the ability to scale profitable products uh, on your platform rather than investing or under-investing in certain things that will catch up later and will be you know, harder to fix and will cost more money down the road. And I think that the education uh, took a little bit more time, but um, I think every investor got it in the end. And that's why they continue to support us with their investment. Sure. And as we alluded to in the kind of the intro, obviously 2022 saw some challenges for the business. You know, we know that's that's not unique, like everyone as they scale has has challenges, but you know, what what has the business learned from that? Like, what are you taking forwards? I, I think we are now also in a slightly better position, I would say, than, than than previous management because markets are not honoring only growth now. They're honoring also um, profitability, which means ultimately, if they have to pick something right now, they would probably pick profitability over growth. 
So if you were to streamline operations, if you were to standardize processes, if you were to invest in the structure to get the maximum efficiency out of the platform that probably would support that more than just, you know, an additional market or a product or a feature where you have, you know, a distinct return on the very, very specific business case. And I think that's why we were also very specific asking people for their money to support us on, 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 on that journey. Uh, rather than just a, a new market or a product. Sean, I saw I saw a lot of nodding as as Constantine was talking through that. I suppose you know, what's your perspective on like these conversations with with VCs? You know, do you think that kind of funding environment has has changed in the way that Constantine described? Yeah, no, uh, they do. I, I, also, I just wanted to say congratulations to to both of you. Um, it's obviously you know showing the um, the, the the current uh, pulse on the market at the moment. I mean, with Payable, we, we're in a fortunate position. We, we are profitable and growing um, significantly. And uh, being in a privately held uh, scenario, we're, again, we're, we're in a fortunate place. We can anticipate and plan our strategic growth um, you know, within Europe and then, and then beyond uh, those spaces. So, uh, you know, again, coming back, Kate, to the, the UK as being the sort of the, the hub um, for, for this growth, I think, uh, you know, we're not talking quite so much these days, obviously, about Brexit, but these, some of these um, things have come through as a result of uh, those changing you know, situations within, within Europe. Um, and, yeah, very much so. I see, see it being a continuous, you know, it's, it's a continuous growth within those areas. Life, obviously, we mentioned as we were entering your news, you, know, you guys have raised over $300 million in venture capital funding today, you know, do you, I don't know if you guys are looking in, at that environment at the moment, but you know, what do you think? How is that shaping? How is the current investing environment shaping decisions that you're making for your business? Is it kind of changing your plans or encouraging you to focus on on different things? I would say, like most businesses, especially throughout 2022, focus had changed a lot from again the focus on top line growth to growth alone is not you know, it's just not enough anymore, you know, um, and where it suddenly has to obviously also be that you build a proper business where the unit, where the unit economics actually makes sense. And, um, you know, I think specifically in fintech, you've seen a bunch of companies that also just had, you know, borderline non-existent gross margins and things like that. And that's just things that just don't fly now anymore, right? And generally speaking, I think, I think uh, market moments like this are, are also quite good um, because even as a company, I think it's a chance to, you know, make sure that you're still running it sane and also make sure that you're running something that if you ever enter the public markets one day, that you will not get slaughtered because you're actually, you know, because you're actually uh, uh, building a business that can be sustainable, building a business where the new economics made sense and so on. And um, and I think that is often also has to be driven within the company culture as well. And so I think moments like this are the ones where, you know, the team can learn, you know, that money doesn't grow on trees and that you have to kind of, you know, manage your budgets wisely and, you know, that maybe that billboard campaign should not be running and <laughs> and, and and so on. And um, um, And I think, you know, in our case, you know, we are like 155, 60 people, like 160 people now roughly, and so on. And I think we were still, so to say, comparatively speaking, small enough that uh, 
that you really feel the cultural shift in the company when, you know, uh, 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 like like on those pieces. And I think that's actually where these moments are incredibly powerful. And then on the other end, I think you will, as we go into a, a cycle that maybe points more up to the right again, um, which I hope we're going to be soon again, um, then you're going to have so many more companies in the market that are just so much more resilient and, you know, so much more fundable and sustainable. And, you know, and the ones that weren't able to get there, you know, might have not made it uh, 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 on the other end, which also means that capital can accumulate, you know, within the companies that maybe truly deserve it, so to say. And generally speaking, I think, you know, those 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 market cycles are, you know, for the ecosystem itself, maybe quite important. So, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, Constantin, I suppose, you know, obviously, we've seen changes in the wider kind of fundraising environment, but I suppose for embedded finance players in particular, there's also been the shift of, you know, not that long ago, everyone was just talking about you know, banking as a service, embedded finance. It was like the buzzword, right? That's shifted a bit, right? Like everyone's now talking about this thing called AI. Um, does you know, does that have an impact on you guys as well? Like, does your sector have to be buzzy for investors to see it as valuable and interesting? Does it actually make it maybe easier to to do what you want to do when you can just focus on your product and not have to sort of follow some wider hype machine? Well, um, I think uh, for us, and I will have to use buzzwords, right? So machine learning and all the good things are essential to scale a, a platform, right? So we cannot go away from, 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 let's say, the buzzwords at all. But I think what has helped us in the in the current process is really to take a hard look on all products on all markets on all clients and just think this end to end through is this the right product to have in all markets is this the right client to partner up with is this the basis of a sustainable profitable business and what is there in addition to think about to actually increase the efficiency of the platform and obviously then you have to resort back to some of the buzzwords, but I think uh, you know embedded finance and or AI and or machine learning are things that will stay. They will not be just a buzzword. These are trends, you know, that they're firmly shaping up. It will take some time, you know, to become a part of the say the traditional economies and be, um, you know, also part of 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 the of the discussion in a in a let's say in a non-buzz sense. But they're definitely here to stay. And I think um, that's what we used right now just to shape up the story in a way that we believe that we can produce sustainable, profitable growth in the future. Absolutely. Okay. Well, congrats again on on the raise. As we've all said, like super impressive and fingers crossed it helps you to kind of, as you say, lay that, lay that pathway for growth going forwards. Um, we're just going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back very shortly. 200 trillion. No, that's not the number of times we've heard the letters AI this year. That's the estimated dollar value of residential property worldwide. The opportunity is massive and the space is ripe for disruption. So why does financial services keep getting mortgage offerings so wrong? Digitizing outdated processes has only led to complex, opaque and exhausting user journeys that make the prospect of buying a home even scarier. The answer to this problem? Understand your customers' jobs to be done and meet them at their pain points with embedded, truly digital solutions. Partner with businesses to simplify and accelerate the home buying process. That's where the future is. Ready to take the first step? Visit 11fs.com ventures and let's get to work. 
Welcome back. Before we get on to the second half of today's news, a reminder to go check out the latest episode of our FinTech Insider Insights show. In our most recent episode, we're asking, will PSD3 really live up to the expectations? With the new open banking legislation proposed by the European Commission, we're bringing you a chat from the archives of some industry boffins to lay out the successes and challenges of PSD2, as well as what they hope to see from this next chapter. You can find that podcast wherever you got this one. Okay, let's get back into the news. This story has been taken from the Financial Times, but it's also been repeated in lots of other places as well. Revolut's US payment flaws allow thieves to steal $20 million. A flaw in Revolut's payment system in the US allowed criminals to steal more than $20 million of its funds over several months before the company could close the loophole. This is according to multiple people with knowledge of the episode speaking to the Financial Times. The problem stemmed from differences between European and US payment systems, which meant that when certain transactions were declined, Revolut would erroneously refund accounts, handing them its own money. Individuals were encouraged to try to make expensive purchases that would be declined and then cashed out through ATMs. Although Revolut recouped part of the roughly $23 million stolen by pursuing some of those who had taken funds, the net loss is said to have been about $20 million. That's equal to almost two-thirds of its annual net profit in 2021. The problem first appeared episodically in late 2021. Organised criminal groups then took advantage of the fault early in 2022. Sean, as our payments expert on the panel today, I um, want to pick your brain first on this one. Um, this story is citing you know, differences between US and you know, European UK payment systems as a main issue. How different are those payment systems? Do, do these difficulties that Revolut are citing kind of ring true with what you've seen? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, at the moment, a lot of this is speculative. There's obviously the Financial Times had a very short piece on that with very little you know, detail. So, uh, you know, it is very difficult for us to sort of speculate from afar here. But one of the things I saw specifically uh, that, you know, that could be happening uh, is not actually technical differences. It could, it could be process differences. The way The way I read this is that, uh, it could well be the way that they were managing uh, maybe their chargeback process. So what, what I was seeing is that in the UK and Europe, if you've got a problem with the, you know, your goods or service, uh, then you'd, you'd contact your bank and the bank would go through the normal retrieval request to, you know, to, to get uh, to the bottom of what, what the problem was. Uh, in the US, generally, the, the process is more aggressive. Uh, as far as the issuing banks are concerned, they're very much on the consumer side. And what they would generally do, the consumer banks uh, in the US would immediately uh, issue a credit to the cardholder. And, you know, the process of chargeback would not continue in the same way. It would sort of cut off at that point. And so I was seeing here that maybe it's a a process issue um, where maybe Revolut were anticipating, you know, the normal process of, uh, the chargeback uh, flow happening as if it would happen in Europe, but not being the case in in, in the US. The thing that surprised me is obviously the scale uh, of the of the issue. You know, surely those things you would what well, you'd hope, <laughs> at least anyway, that um, you know that type of uh, scale of problem would be picked up earlier within the process. But I, I the, the way I saw this, as I said, as I read it, was. I don't know that it's necessarily technical. It sounds that it could be maybe technical, a little bit of process there as well. Okay, now that's um, that's an interesting point of point of clarification. I suppose, as you say, like 
uh, it's, this is all speculative at this point, so we kind of need to kind of wait and see further details. But you know, it, it does sound like a lot of money, right? Like, are these kinds of issues and these kinds of sums of money more common than we would expect? Or you know, has the Revolut team dropped the ball here? Well, look, I think, I mean, problems happen all the time. And, you know, you, you have to react and you have to be responsive to, uh, to new technology. Uh, part, of the, part of the problem that we all face is, is growing and expansion and moving into, into different segments and different markets always need to have careful consideration to make sure you know, these things you know, don't happen within, within, uh, within your watch. I think that the, the extraordinary thing for me is, is the, the potential scale of this. That seems like a, a lot. <laughs> it is a lot of money. Taking a period of time to, to highlight this, you know, it, it just reinforces the, the need that we're on top of our reconciliations and making sure that the you know the systems that we had in place. I think both Constantine and and uh, Life had a reference to this earlier in the conversation. Is about investing in processing procedures and technology uh, to make sure that we can keep pace of uh, you know where we are as far as uh, as our growth in our, our businesses are concerned. But you know to answer your question, Kate, I think you know the things do happen. They happen all the time. And I think we need to just you know, make sure uh, that uh, you know, we, we keep an eye on these things and, the, and the, the, the growth is managed and controlled uh, from a technical and also a process uh, point of view as far as the operational aspects are concerned. I would also argue in most cases it's a KYC issue more. And, um, you know, most, like, most fraud starts at KYC and, uh, and, and who you let into the door would be a customer in the first place. And you know, and from there, that's that's where the most that's where most fraud issues start, right? And then you know, sure, if there's some you know process issues or so on, like that that stuff can happen. And like having some sort of you know fraud loss in any consumer fintech is quite normal. But whenever that goes up to an extent where it might be you know too high, and I would argue that in many cases it's also a KYC issue. Yeah, and I guess you know, you guys are probably living at the moment this challenge of you know, trying to move from processes and systems that work in a US context to working out like what adapt- adaptations need to be made in the UK like have you seen any of these types of conflicts or tensions that Revolut seem to have experienced between the two different systems for us so far obviously it's super super early right we had some you know secret uh, beta users on the UK app and you know today the first users are really being onboarded and so on so like you know uh, uh, to be told I guess but um, but for us it's a little bit different because we're we're actually onboarding people onto US brokerage accounts and so there's basically just one transfer that happens you know um, while like as you kind of deposit money to the app and so it's a little bit of a different you know system so just any payments and so on so okay yeah no, that makes that makes sense. And Sean, I suppose, do stories like this impact Revolut's hope of a, of a banking license? We've been following for quite a long time their travails with the, U- the UK regulator. You know, do you think these kinds of scandals could, well, scandals probably too strong a word, these types of stories could push things back further? Look, I think um, the regulator in the UK keeps its eye on you know, current uh, trends and uh, news. You know, I can't obviously comment on if this will affect sort of the next part of the process for the for, for, for Revolut. They, they've got some amazing products and they've always been at the cutting edge of, uh, you know, fintech and um, you know, some of the, the growth that they've shown uh, within, the, uh, within the various you know, sectors and markets has been, uh, been amazing. I think, you know, their, their top technology is, um, 
you know, incredible as far as the, 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 the packaging of the services that they, that they have. Uh, however, you know, it, it, the, the, the growth aspect and re- really it's been the, the thread and the, uh, the flow of our conversation here today is that we've got to make sure and all organizations you know, have to make sure that we've got, you know, good processes in place, uh, good technology in place to make sure that we can manage the growth and not have issues that are, are going to be um, you know, problematic or potentially problematic um, within the communities that, uh, that we're, we're, we're providing our service to, uh, but also to the regulators. The regulators uh, are, are very, you know, very focused on making sure that the consumer and the customer is safe and secure um, and their money is safe. And it's uh, extremely important that uh, all of us within the industry uh, ensures that our systems uh, make sure that 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 can happen. And uh, I know, you know, from from our point of view, that's that's a very key focus of of our business and our technology is to to make sure that that you know that 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 growth and that next next step is always very well thought out and managed carefully. Yeah. Constant in the naysayers for Revolut kind of always like to point to these difficulties with the regulator and kind of use that to, you know, say that they're not going to be as successful as people people claim. Um, you, know, you mentioned earlier Solaris has obviously also been in a position where you've had to have conversations with regulators and try to get your perspective on on Revolut. You know, are they are they still a fintech success story? Do you think they're still going to um, achieve achieve great things in the future? So it, it's it's really hard to take this view as an outsider, not being part of the management. I think the best place uh, 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 to be right now is being at the helm of the company and, and, and answer the question. What I can say, though, is we have a longer journey with the regulator than most of the other fintechs. I think where we saw significant progress with regard to the relationship uh, between the regulator and us is they obviously want to safeguard the public interest and, the, and, and ultimately the consumers and save them from, from anything that could be detrimental to their wealth. What helps then, obviously, if you're a cutting-edge company like us and or Revolut in that, uh, in that sense is to educate the regulator, to shape policies at the end together. Because if you are innovating the the inclination of the regulator is to greenlight everything you do relatively low because they only have the downside, right? If something goes well, nobody will go back and like, oh yeah, uh, Mr. Regulator, you did a great job. They will always come back and say, oh, how could this happen under your watch? So I, I, I guess the risk return profile is slightly different. So ultimately, uh, you know, to help them understand you know, the way you're doing business and what technologies you're using to succeed in that particular field, you know, is essential for them to understand. Once they do that, and obviously they're not going to move with the same speed as the average, you know, fintech, I think then you're in a good place to discuss the next step forward. And I think probably Revolut will do the same thing. They will go explain what potentially went wrong, how they fixed it, and that how, how they intend to continuously you know, grow while maintaining uh, and safeguarding all their you know, processes and products. Yeah, no, absolutely fair point. And again, so I say something to emphasise, one, this is an emerging story, and two, like the money that was lost was not you know, 
customer money that was lost. It was kind of money that came from from Revolut itself. So um, again, I think that's important to emphasize. And I would argue that like the the I think like the question of like is Revolut still you know a successful company and whatnot like yes of course right yes of course you know and. Um, you know, everyone will have bumps in the road and stuff, of course. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think even within fintech and whatnot, like everyone who's, you know, trying to innovate, everyone who's, you know, trying to push the industry forward, like we should, generally speaking, you know, we should all applaud that and try to, you know, sort of say support each other, even if we might be competing on the battlefield somewhere. Because at the end of the day, you know, that is, uh, uh, you know, that is just generally good for for all of us in the industry. And so, like, I would say that that question should not even be a question. Okay, well, on that note, I'm going to move on to our, our next story. But yeah, we'll keep watching that one. Uh, our next story comes from the BBC News, and that is Martin Lewis felt sick seeing deep fake scam ad on Facebook. UK consumer champion Martin Lewis said he was left feeling sick by an online scam video featuring a realistic computer-generated likeness of him. The widely circulated ad, which attempts to solicit money for a supposed investment scheme, appears to use AI-powered deepfake technology. Consumer finance expert Lewis said it was weird and pretty frightening to have his face and voice imitated. In the advert, which appeared on Facebook, a fake likeness of Lewis encourages people to sign up for what is claimed to be an Elon Musk back project calling it legit and a great investment as a household name and a founder of the website money saving expert lewis's financial advice is relied upon by millions of people in the uk to give you guys our listeners a taste of how convincing this clip was or to decide for yourself here's a sample of the fake martin lewis Elon Musk presented his new project in which he has already invested more than $3 billion. Musk's new project opens up great investment opportunities for British citizens. No project has ever given such opportunities to residents of the country, given the interesting features of the app and having seen how it works. We asked you, the listeners of 11FS, if you've ever been fooled by a deep fake image or video online. 70, 70% said, no, I'm far too clever for that. <laughs> and 30% said, yes, I have been tricked. I wonder if actually like the 70% who said no, like would even know if it had been. <laughs> um, yeah, will any of our panel confess to being caught out even briefly by, by deep fake image? Not knowingly, at least, right? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend being too clever to spot like any potential deep fake. But I would say, um, a- at least, not to my knowledge. Yeah, someone pointed out to me the other day. Actually, just just doing this podcast, you know, puts your voice out into the public domain. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's really going to be any any criminal benefit to Im- imitating my voice. But yeah, you know, if you guys are looking to empower people to invest, how damaging are these sorts of sorts of things? Uh, obviously, on the one side, it's super fascinating, and there's a lot of you know really interesting you know things that you know that could enable in the future. And whenever there's new technology, some scammer will figure out how to use it for their benefit. That's one of the first things that will happen, right? And because safeguards will always lag behind, no question. Generally speaking, obviously, like, but to your point, right, even your voice right now, someone could clone it, call up your mother and extort her for money, right? And so, and so like, <laughs> and so, long story short, like, yes, there's definitely, you know, I think there's, there's, like, harm that could happen even to, you know, so to say, you know, any person out there with, with this kind of stuff and having their voice out there and so on. In the context of, you know, even now investing and so on, I would say it's, it's, it's like, my worry would be mostly around misinformation around public companies and things like that, right? So you could totally see how 
you know, some news story around some public company could be, you know, faked and put out there and that could have a short-term quick impact on a stock price that someone could take advantage of and things like that. And so I think those are things that, that, that are quite, quite uh, interesting is maybe the wrong word, but like, you know, that's very interesting, I guess. But, uh, and so on. I think the other piece is really just like social engineering, right? So um, trying to convince someone that you're someone that you're not, you know, trying to hack into someone's account uh, and so on. And so I think that's the other part of it. And so for companies like us, it falls into, you know, how what are your safeguards in customer service, right? How educated are your customer service representatives that they kind of understand and know this technology and like what, you know, kind of things to spot for uh, uh, and the like. Absolutely. Um, you know, Sean, as life said, you know, scams are getting more sophisticated. It's a big thing. What do we as an industry need to do? Yeah, I think um, education is always, is always the key, in my view, um, for both the, the customers and also the businesses. Um, we work on a B2B model, so we generally need to be in close contact with our, you know, our business clients to, to make sure uh, they're, they're fully up to date and uh, current on new technologies and uh, new, um, new things within the market that, that, um, you know, that, that will ensure that they, they stay, um, you know, stay on the right side of these things. I think, I think that the interesting thing uh, for me is how much sort of better or how much more sophisticated these types of things have become and you know, how, you know, as we're saying that with the deep fake, um, processes, uh, it, it really is quite, you know, quite scary. And I think uh, often uh, what we need to do is, is make sure that we're uh, analysing our sources of information, is that on the internet there's so much information out there and there's so many um, you know, mediums for people to, to use. Uh, finding the trusted um, source of information and news is very, very difficult. And when you've got somebody like Martin Lewis, you know, he, who has really... Uh, within the UK in particular, got that level of trust within a very, you know, specific consumer uh, group. It, you know, it really is uh, you know, very disappointing and sad that uh, people are sort of taking advantage of that. And uh, again, it's very important that, you know, that those types of things are immediately, uh, edu again, education is put out there on his website and on, um, on various uh, mediums that, to make sure that those things are discredited and you know people know about it so the education Kate for me is, is always the most important aspect of these things yeah I mean we, we do have a very international audience so I suppose yeah good definitely good to um, explain a bit more about about Martin Lewis and kind of yeah as you say that trusted position yeah he has um you know, Constantin is there like a German version of Martin Lewis, like a sort of consumer champion kind of figure, or is it sort of a bit more of a UK niche? It's, I would say it's rather a UK niche than, than a German phenomenon, but I think you can make up uh, those things with uh, public figures endorsing products and or, uh, you know, general trends whatsoever, and then, then try to uh, profit from. So I think at the end of the day, this will be a new potential fraud scheme that, you know, um, as Sean said, I think the only way forward is to educate people as much as you can and then continue, you know, to build fail safes within your organization to to ideally spot them. I don't know exactly how how this would look like in the future because uh, it's pretty scary what, what people can do right now uh, and, and not having already a fail safe within the company. But I think this is the topic that, you know, everybody has picked up and 
and and and educates people the best way possible and thinks of of how to protect uh the consumer, but also the, the specific company. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like we're focusing on like the problems created by AI, but you know, inevitably, you know, we can't have an episode of FinTech Inside about talking about the potential of AI. And I did see, you know, when I was doing my research for for the show, you know, you guys do have like your sort of coming soon banner above, you know, what you've described as your sort of AI co-pilot. And so, obviously, it's a space that you guys are dabbling in. What, what, how big do you see the potential positives being for AI? Yeah. First, the coming soon banner is gone. It's available in the app. And so um, I think it's massive. I mean, so the, the first thing that we've done, obviously, we have, we have multiple points in the business where we're, where we're applying AI already. And so one, obviously, is things like fraud detection. The other one is things like CX, which is more, you know, which is like semi-user facing. And then, uh, and then we put into the app um, like an AI research assistant we call Alpha. And you can really think of it as just you go to any stock page, you swipe down on that stock page, and you can ask any question about that stock. And so we fed basically a GPT-4 model with you know, earnings call and data, with uh, transcripts, analyst opinions, uh, custom company KPIs, and so on. Um, and what it suddenly does is that it makes it incredibly easy for people to just do research. And you don't have to necessarily know where to find the information. You don't necessarily have to know, you know how to ask for something. Also like Alpha, for example, if you ask something, it will give you you know, potential follow-up questions to ask. And so it, like, it kind of guides you into helping you to try and like, dig deeper into a topic or in a company. Um, and, uh, and so like where we see the like, immediate kind of now uh, um, you know, advancement is really the sense of just to truly democratize investment research even, even more. And by that, just inspiring more people to do research which I think generally is a good thing when I mean, you do that around investment. So. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, sadly, have to move us on. So now for the section of the show called Big Click Energy, a quickfire roundup of some more click-worthy news this week. So just one from me today, um, taking this one from The Guardian. Jeremy Hunt unveils pension fund reform plan to help UK startups. The UK Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, has announced plans to merge workplace pension schemes and release up to £75 billion of retirement funds for five fast-growing startups. The proposals aimed at mobilising investment from the UK's £2.5 trillion pension sector were outlined in a speech to top executives and MPs in central London at the Lord Mayor's annual Mansion House dinner on Monday evening. He will also confirm that the Treasury has struck a deal with nine of the largest pension providers that would result in firms earmarking 5% of retirement funds towards private investments. The government will create new investment vehicles that would give future retirees a stake in homegrown private private companies, including in fast-growing fintech startups. Um, yeah, pretty rare for something to do with pensions to be massively click-worthy, but you know, obviously it's a very challenging fundraising environment at the moment, so anything which has the potential to support growing businesses is very welcome. Um, the government has also said that it thinks this could translate into a 12% bump in the pension returns for the average earner who starts saving you know, at 18 years old, so kind of the average age that most people start working. So... You know, if you've got your optimist hat on, it sounds like a win-win for everyone, and you kind of think, you know, what's taken so long? But um, I do have that kind of skeptical part of my brain that thinks there must be some, <laughs> there must be some downside here. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, anything which frees up funding is is to be applauded. So fingers crossed, they're able to to push this through, and and hopefully it won't take forever because we again we know lots of these initiatives, especially when there's multiple large companies involved, can can often take a long time to actually push through from sort of an announcement through to actual 
tangible funds that can be issued to the companies that, that desperately need them to keep growing and, and challenging and, and providing support to our economy. So this would normally be our sort of and finally section of the show where we take a, an offbeat or, or lighthearted story from, from the week. But this week, we're going to use this part of our show to mark the sad passing of someone from the UK fintech community. Um, Nick Hungerford, the co-founder of investment app Nutmeg, has sadly died at the age of 43. He was diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer in 2019. Um, Hungerford set up Elizabeth Smile a few months ago, which provides resources for children who lose a parent. Tributes have poured in from across the fintech sector that he helped transform Nutmeg, the firm he founded in 2011, said Hungerford was one of Britain's most successful fintech entrepreneurs. And in 2021, Nutmeg was bought by JP Morgan for £700 million and has been incorporated into its Chase brand. Um, our own CTO at 11FS, Ewan Silver, worked with Nick at Nutmeg and wrote on LinkedIn, Nick Hungerford has already made an impact on the world, founding Nutmeg and helping to change the way a huge number of us plan and invest for the future. He is, however, leaving a much bigger legacy by setting up Elizabeth's Smile, which is a charity aimed at supporting children who have lost a parent through illness. Um yeah, super sad news. You know, we're lucky enough to be able to spend the majority of our time you know, talking about the good stuff, you know, new market launches, new investors, new partnerships. But you know, one of the reasons why we make this podcast is to support the fintech community, to connect and celebrate the people who are you know, working to make financial services better. And Nick was definitely one of those people. So, um, so yeah, here's to him. Um, sending our best wishes to his family and friends. And the charity, as we mentioned, that he set up provides practical resources for children who lose a parent in the UK and the US. So we'll include a link to that in the show notes if you'd like to support it and are able to. Okay, well, that wraps up this week's news show. Thank you again so much to today's guests. Where can people find out a bit more about you and, and your company's life? Uh, first, obviously, go to public.com and sign up to the UK product. Um, you should do that right now. Um, and then um, uh, obviously on Twitter at public, myself at live, L-E-I-F, Thunder. And I always say the Thunder part is for uh, if we ever meet each other on a beer somewhere, I will tell you that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, all the best for the launch. Super excited for you guys. Um, Constantin, what about you? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is, uh, is, is, is great uh, to connect and then also obviously follow the company in our newsletter. And we do also have a podcast about embedded finance for everybody uh, uh, out there who wants to continue listening. Always, always recommend a podcast. Absolutely. Um, and Sean, what about you? Yes. Yeah, so uh, payable.com uh, is uh, obviously the best place to get information about uh, payable. Uh, myself, again, LinkedIn is always the best. So sean.forward, uh, that's F-O-R-W-A-R-D. Uh, on LinkedIn. So uh, very happy to, to take any uh, comments or, or info there. Awesome. Uh, and as for me, um, yeah, also you can find me on LinkedIn, Kate Moody, or you can drop me an email, kate at alumnifest.com. Thank you so much for listening. You can join the conversation on social media or email podcasts at alumnifest.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye.